Welcome to Falls Creek 2018. This is week eight of eight weeks of summer youth camp, July 25th. This week, we have 5,224 students and adults registered full-time from 107 churches. You are listening to the Wednesday evening service with our guest speaker, Ed Newton. During this service, there were 217 decisions, including 125 professions of faith. Enjoy. Come on, let's put our heads together and say thank you to this band for leading us. Amen. As you're being seated, come on, let's open up our Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. Yeah. I hope you've had an amazing day for you 5K runners and walkers. And yes, I don't know about you, but most likely you're feeling a little bit sore. Your hamstrings feel like banjo cords right now, a little tight. However, it's been a great day, significant day. I want to make a quick statement in regards to what happens after the service, there's a lot of places that you could be. But my favorite hip-hop artist in the world, his name's Fidel, and he is going to be in the plaza tonight. I'm talking about there is a party in the plaza, and I, nobody's asked me to do this, but this is my guy. Fidel is the man, loves Jesus. We've had him at our church in San Antonio, Texas. Our kids love him. You're going to love him. And there's a lot of places you could be tonight, but you got to show some love to my boy Fidel because I'm telling you, we're going to have a great time celebrating Jesus tonight with some hip-hop music. Can I get an amen from somebody, all right? So Genesis chapter 22, I want to give you a few principles to write down, but I want to read a section of Scripture. One of the things that we have intentionally done this week is we've been hanging out. That is, we have pulled up the emergency brake and parked it in the Old Testament. I want to say this in passing. We'll never fully understand the New Testament if we really don't dive into the Old Testament. The Old Testament sets up the New Testament, and the New Testament explains the Old Testament. We recognize and realize that these 66 individual books of the Old Testament and the New Testament come together with a beautiful scarlet theme and thread. By the way, the whole Bible is about Jesus. My wife and I, I mentioned this last night, we've been married for 20 years this coming August. And when we got married, I'll never forget as I got down on one knee and asked her to spend the rest of her life with me, November 1997, praise God, she said yes. And I put that ring on her finger. And then we went back to my mom and dad's house and presented a shoebox that didn't have shoes on the inside of it, but love letters. See, back in those days in the early 90s, there wasn't cell phones. I mean, there was a cell phone, but it was like Saved by the Bell, Zach Moore's cell phone. And so when your girl lives in San Juan, Puerto Rico, because her parents are missionaries, and you live in Orlando, Florida, you got to learn how to write back and forth as college kids. And so we did that. For four years, we dated. In November 1997, I gave her a shoebox of every single letter that she wrote me. I kept it. That is, I kept it in chronological order. That is, when every letter came to that mailbox at 10225 Arbor Ridge Trail, Orlando, Florida, 32817, I promise you the thing I did not do was take that letter from my girl and put it on my dresser and go, you know, I'll read that later. I read it at the mailbox, and I read it several times on my way back into the house. As crazy as this is, I even began to smell it to see if she maybe dabbed a little perfume on it. See, can I just say this to you? When you love somebody, you care about what they have to say. Can I say this to you? The Bible that you hold in your hand is the greatest love letter that's ever been written, and it's got the fragrance of Jesus all over it. And may we treasure it. 
And so when we get to the Old Testament, we understand this is still about Jesus. I want to prove that point tonight in Genesis chapter 22. If you're with me, Falls Creek Week 8, come on, let me know you're listening tonight by saying amen. That's what I love about you. Genesis chapter 22, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, After these things God tested Abraham. Now, don't miss this. i got to just give some course correction. The word test is not the word tempt. God tempts no one. The book of James would say that God is not the author of evil. The word test is in regards to proving genuine. So how do you test a diamond? Some would say that you take a diamond and if it scratches a mirror, then it's got validation that it's a diamond. How do you test gold being gold? Some would say that you bite it and if it's soft, it gives validation that it is gold. When it comes to being a follower of Jesus, one of the ways that God begins, if you will, to test our heart is through a simple assignment at times that may seem very minimal to us, but it really begins to gauge whether or not we're going to be obedient to God. And when we talk about the story of Abraham and Isaac, it's obedience that we see with Abraham after walking with God for 50 plus years. But why is it that God would have to test Abraham 50 years into this relationship? It's because the one specific assignment that he was about to give him would be unlike any other assignment, and I believe it serves as the canvas behind the painting of John chapter 3, verse 16. We all know that verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Abraham and Sarah were unable to have children. God gave a promise. Old age, I'm talking about walkers with tennis balls on the bottom of it, rocking a carnigan in the summer heat when it's 147 degrees. Abraham and Sarah were, but God gave a promise. And Isaac, the name Isaac means laughter. I don't know if they're laughing. That is Abraham and Sarah's senior adults having a toddler. But we do know this, that God gives a promise. And the promise was for God to speak this into the very core of Abraham, and that is to take his son, his only son. Listen to this. Verse number two. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. There was, there was no, like, Apple phone that you could, like, hold down the home button and go, Siri, um, Mount Moriah. No coordinates, no GPS, no tracking devices. I mean, it's a broad statement. Land of Moriah. I don't know about you, but even if I was walking with God 50 years, I've been walking with God now 26 years, but if I've been walking with God for 50 years, I would have responded with a statement or a question like, could you be more specific? Because what you just asked me to do was to take my son, my only son, which is the promise that you gave me in that moment when I began to look to the starry sky and you spoke over me that my descendants shall be as numerous as the stars in the sky and my wife and I, unable to have children, you, you gave us Isaac and now you're asking me to sacrifice Isaac. But Abraham does not do that. Point number one, write this down if you don't mind. Point number one, we see the request of God. The request of God. As you're writing that down, let me see if I can illustrate it this way. I was on my way from one camp to the next. I was leaving Charleston, West Virginia, on my way to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. The layover city at that particular time was Memphis, Tennessee. Not a big deal to you, but that's where I used to live. So let me just explain a little further. Two weeks of being gone from my family, 
my wife and kids, difficult to say the least, but when your layover city is in the city that you live in, everything in you wants to go home. So I call my wife from Charleston, West Virginia. I'm like, hey, babe, listen, uh, I, I got an hour and a half in Memphis. I want to come home, but, you know, I got to get on this next flight to go to this next camp. And would you meet me at the Arby's on the other side of the security checkpoint? I got time for lunch, and please bring the kids because even though it's an hour and a half, I'm praying that God would allow the sun to stand still. It was in that moment I'm getting off this plane. I'm literally just looking at my watch. The minutes are counting down with the limited amount of time that I have with my wife and my kids. But there's a soldier next to me. I overheard in the conversation he just got home from Iraq. Now let me say this in parentheses. I live in San Antonio, Texas. We're called Military Town USA. But you don't have to live in Military Town USA to have an affinity and an appreciation for the armed services. And that is the armed forces of our great country of men and women that defend freedom. For us to be in this place. My heart swells because when I was a high school kid, I wanted to go into the Marine Corps. I was going to take the GI Bill. Praise be to God. I got an opportunity to play basketball in college. And so that diverted my path to a Christian college where I'd get a Bible education, study how to be in ministry, and I'd meet my bride. But I've always had an affinity for the military. So I overhear this young man talking about the fact that he just got home from Iraq. I immediately began just to picture this in my mind that I've watched a lot of goodbyes, but today I was going to watch a hello. And so as this young man and I were walking together, in my mind, I was picturing a grandfather, a grandmother, aunts, uncles, banners, balloons. But as we got through the security checkpoint, none of those things were there. There was a banner, but it wasn't a grandmother or a grandfather or a mom or dad or an aunt and uncle. It was his wife. He married young. And she was standing there with a two-year-old, approximate age, little boy wrapped around her leg, holding a sign and a brand-new baby in her arm. And it dawned on me, I'm not a real bright dude, and my butter slides off my biscuit often, I promise you. But I just began to do the math. I'm like, he missed the birth of his second child. And at that moment, we were just talking, and out of my peripheral vision, I saw her, but he didn't see her. But I didn't know they were together And in this conversation, mid-sentence, he stops and he lays eyes on his girl. He takes off that heavy camouflage backpack. It just drops to the floor. And at that moment, I literally watched this young man begin to run towards his wife. Two-year-old little boy begins to run towards his dad. And as that little boy begins to jump on his dad and The father now down on his knees. I'm watching this mom do this, and it's forever etched and sketched on my heart, and I'll never forget it. The mom, and you got to look this way, the mom was doing this. And as I was watching, having a boo-hoo snot slobber moment in the corner, like it was a scene from the notebook, (laughs) God whispered in my heart, for God so loved the world that he did this right here. And as we look to the story of Abraham and Isaac, I want you to listen to this. The backdrop behind Genesis chapter 22 is actually something that's prophetic if we are in the actual context of Genesis 22. It's beginning to project a story that this God would so love the world that he would do this. And the very template for that is Abraham and Isaac. But if there was ever a day to press the snooze button, wasn't it that day? But Abraham, notice in verse 3, the Bible says this. 
So Abraham rose early, did not press the snooze button. That is, he saddled his donkey. The two took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering, arose, and went to the place of which God had told him. And then verse 4, on the third day. Now, I hope that you're beginning to see a pattern here. Take your son, your only son. Not the fourth day, not the fifth day, not the sixth day, not the seventh day, not the second day, not the first day, the third day. The third day. You'll see this promise on the third day. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Point number two, write this down. Not only do we see the request of God, but number two, we see the readiness of Abraham. The readiness of Abraham. Abraham had been walking with God for 50 years. I've already said that, but it's important to make this very clear. Abraham walking with God 50 plus years. And when God began to speak, Abraham was so quick in his obedience. Have you ever had a conversation with God that went like this? No. Has God ever asked you to tell somebody about him or to say something about him to someone else? I was in the Houston airport not too long ago. Matter of fact, two weeks ago, I was in the food court and across the table from me was a lady that had a disease. Her face had blisters all over them, benign tumors, some would say, covering her entire body. I watched everybody in the food court stare at her. I watched kids not fully understanding all that was going on, point at her. And as I sat there with my Panda Express, blessed be the name of the Lord, just all of a sudden the Spirit of God said, go tell her she's beautiful. And the Lord said it again, go tell her she's beautiful. And I didn't get up. I want you to listen to me, False Creek Week 8. I'm not going to stand on this stage and pretend I'm somebody that I'm not. I will not stand in front of you and pretend like I'm the bonic believer. And every time God speaks to me, I rush towards obedience. I fight at times with my insecurity in connection to what God's asking me to do. And here, here was the unfortunate hypocrisy. I stand on a stage tonight as a hypocrite. For some of you, the reason why you don't give your life to Jesus is because you go, the church is filled with hypocrites. Well, ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce myself. My name's Ed Newton. I'm the hypocrite. I will not stand in front of you and pretend like I got it all together. I'm not the bonic believer that jumps from one tall building to the next. The struggle is real in my heart. And what's crazy tonight, one of the things that God's actually beginning to speak to me about, that is the reason why he asked me to go talk to her is because something's beginning to happen in my body. It's hard for you to see this because the camera angles, but I have now begun to develop fatty tissues that are coming. They're benign tumors that are popping up all over my body. I just shared this with my church just a few weeks ago. In my, in my insecurity, I've worn long sleeves as these fatty tissues continue to pop up. I mean, they're all over my body. And here I was, so insecure about going to talk to a woman that had them all over her face. And I was worried about what she would think about me. 
Who's the crazy guy that would walk across a cafeteria and say that she's beautiful when she didn't feel like she was beautiful? Yeah, the same insecure dude that was sitting across from her in the cafeteria, seeing his own faults, his own failures, his own fatty, benign tumors. See, when God speaks to you, there's a tendency in all of us to allow our insecurities to rise up, going, no, no, you could call somebody else, and they'll be quick to respond, but God's calling you by name, Abraham. Abraham was what he said, and Abraham teaches us something, that wherever God calls you, his provision always meets you there. He, he doesn't call the brave. He makes people that he calls brave. He doesn't call the courageous. He makes those he calls courageous. We said this on Monday night. God's not looking for ability. He's looking for availability. And at 42 years old, I still struggle with insecurity. There's a lot of days I look in the mirror and there's so many things I wish I could change about my physical appearance because I recognize and realize that you, that you have chemicals raging out of control. Many of you going through puberty. Many of you are like, uh, okay, I have hair here. That's awesome. Come on, hashtag real talk. And you're like, oh, my voice is changing, and why do I feel like my body is completely out of control? And for many of you, you look in the mirror, and you don't like yourself. For many of you, you look around your cabin, and this is what you do. I wish I had her hair. I wish I had his muscles. I wish I had his athleticism. I wish I had his GPA. I wish I could do what he does. I wish I could do what she does. And you begin to compare yourself and contrast yourself with everybody else. But I want you to listen to me. God's calling you by name. He's calling you by name because here's what you need to know, that when you hear the voice of God asking you to respond, he has given you a specific special assignment, and this assignment reveals to us that this God is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord that provides, provides everything that you need. And Abraham teaches us tonight that we respond immediately, but oftentimes we have a tendency to hesitate. But point number three, write this down. Not only do we see the request of God, number two, we see the readiness of Abraham. Number three, we see the restraint of Isaac. Watch how this story unfolds. This is crazy to me. You'll notice this in verse five, that Abraham would say this to the servants, the boy and I will go yonder and worship. That There's no mech collective on the stage. There's no band. There's, there's no musical instruments. Can I just say this in a parenthetical statement? It breaks my heart that churches all across the country are divided over worship style. It breaks my heart. It happens in my church. It happens in your church. And we've made it about style. But the first time the word worship is ever used in the Bible is Genesis chapter 22, and there's no musical instruments on the stage. So what is worship? Worship is obedience. Worship is simply saying, yes, Lord. And Abraham says to his servants, the boy and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. It's a statement of confidence that there is going to be revelation, that there is going to be provision. There's going to be a God that steps in and shows off in the moment. But this is the part that's really crazy to me as a dad because I'm watching Isaac begin to put two and two together and realize it doesn't equal four. He's like, uh, hey, hey, dad, um, we're, we're going to 
have a sacrifice, but we got all the supplies, but where's the sacrifice? Notice this in verse 6. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, don't miss this phrase, laid it on Isaac, his son, that is his son, is carrying the wood. He took it in his hand, the fire and the knife, and so they both went together. Verse 7, and Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they both went together. Here's verse 9, and this is where we see the restraint of Isaac. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order. Here it is. And bound Isaac, his son. Now, I don't know if you caught that or not. We have a tendency to Krispy Kreme glaze over verses and words, but they mean something tonight to us. That Isaac has been following his dad. His father just said to the servants, y'all stay here. The boy and I are going to go yonder and worship and we're going to come back. And Isaac's like, okay, we got all the stuff, we got all the gear, we got all the supplies, but we're missing the lamb. Missing the lamb. And then all of a sudden, Isaac realizes that he's the sacrifice. Now, I spent a few moments earlier saying that Abraham is a senior adult. And please don't misunderstand what I'm saying to you. I'm not being critical of senior adults. I'm not trying to be derogatory towards senior adults, but it would not take much time to run away from Abraham as the senior adult. Could, could we just come to that conclusion? That Isaac might be a little bit more swift in agility and athleticism than his senior adult father. With that in mind, why does Isaac stay? Why does Isaac not run why does Isaac not leave? Don't you miss this. Because here's Isaac that has been in the tutelage. That is, he is being discipled. He's being mentored. He's being invested in by his earthly father. And this is what Isaac's saying. Dad, I, I don't know why we've gotten to this place. But I realize that I am the sacrifice. And everything in me wants to run away. But I'm not going to run away. But instead, and watch this, I'll do this. So do what you got to do, Dad. I could just picture this in this ADD, sanctified imagination. Abraham with tears flowing down his face, just wrapping the rope around the wrists of his son. And Isaac willingly, graciously, passionately, lays down on the altar saying, as I trust you, my earthly father, and as my earthly father trusts in his heavenly father, here it is, Isaac's going, if God has been so good to my dad, I've seen the hand of God over and over and over again. If this is what he says, that God has told him this, then I will trust in the God of my father. And he lays down. And it's in that moment I want to teach you some sign language. So everybody just, if you can get both hands free, that would be fantastic. I want to teach you some sign language. The word 
or the sign for Abraham. Everybody make a rock fist. Everybody make a rock fist. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to put your thumb on the side, not in front of it, but on the side. That is the letter A, and I want you to raise it up. Here's the reason why. The beautiful sign for Abraham, and I'm going to have to put this microphone down for just a second, is literally just making a motion of, of a knife. Abraham, this is amazing to me. American Sign Language has given the sign to Abraham, but I want you to watch this. Make a knife motion going down like that. Let's do that together. One, two, three, going down. One more time. One, two, three, going down. Now, here's what I want to show you. So here's what I need you to do with the second hand. As your hand is going down, use your second hand, that is to catch it. And I want us to do it together so we can hear the sound of, if you will, that sound, that smacking of one arm to the next. But let's do it all together so we can hear this thunderous stop with the other hand. One, two, three. One more time. One, two, three. One more time. One, two, three. And in that moment, that's where we get the sign for Abraham that his hand was stopped by the angel of the Lord. Can I ask you a question? Who was more excited about that moment, Abraham or Isaac? Come on. Now, we could debate and discuss this, but I'm just picturing Isaac going, I mean, like just sweating buckets. Just going. But in that moment, both of them coming to this revelation that we serve an on-time God. And here's the promise found in the scripture Write this down. Point number four, not only do we see the request of God, number two, we see the readiness of Abraham. Number three, we see the restraint of Isaac. And point number four, we see the revelation of the ram. The revelation of the, of the ram. Verse 10, then Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son. That's another phrase, slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Which, by the way, I want you to just hop down to Genesis chapter 23, beginning in verse 1. Do you see this? Sarah lived to be 127 years old. So when did Sarah give birth to Isaac? For those of you mathletes and mathematicians in the room, that would be 90. Abraham was 100. So for some of you that are beginning to do some type of mathematical formula, you're like, hey, hey bro, um, I've always thought that Isaac was three years old in the story. Well, first of all, the reason why we know that Isaac is not a toddler in this story because dude had to carry the wood up the hill. Are y'all with me? He ain't too. But what I'm not saying is if you and I were to do some mathematical crunching of numbers, if you were to go, okay, the next chapter, his mom dies at the age of 137, so are you saying that he's 37? But I do think it's interesting that many commentators and theologians would say, could it be that he was actually 33? Now, some of you just had that like, poof. like, hey, 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 hang on just a second. This thing started out with your only son, take your only son, third day, laid the wood on him. He laid down willingly, graciously. Nobody forced him to do that. And, and then you just dropped that on us. Like, hey, he wasn't two, but he could have been 33. Gets better. Watch this. Not only do we see... This beautiful promise of the ram being caught 
in the thicket. Look at verse 13. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket. The same material, oh, this is, I'm about to have a kinetic outburst on this stage. The same material that would be used to weave together a crown of thorns. That's where the ram was caught. Which, by the way, I've done a little study and some research Based upon rams, tendencies, that is, their patterns, they would never have climbed to this type of altitude. Which means that while Abraham and Isaac were working up one side of the mountain, the ram was coming up the other side of the mountain at the right, exact, precise time at this moment. And when you think about what Abraham says about this place, he, he uses Hebrew, that is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. But I want to show you something that's so cool to me. In verse 14, it says, so Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And it goes on to say, and as it is said to this day, which by the way, if you were to break that down in Hebrew, and I get nerded out about stuff like this. As it is said to this day, actually translate, it's future tense. It's not just present tense, but it's future tense as to say that, that Abraham goes, this place will always be known as Jehovah Jireh, the Lord shall provide. Crazy, one more layer of the Mount Moriah is on the same mountain range as Mount Calvary. Asked to say, Abraham said this, this place will always be known as the place that the Lord will provide. What will he provide? Salvation once and for all because all of this is about Jesus. So, for example, what we've just done tonight has revealed things that happen in graphic arts. Let me give you an example of this. Hershey Kisses. Everybody loves a Hershey Kiss. So simple, so delicate, but yet, if you will, so satisfying. Before you know it, you've eaten 47. It's like eating Chick-fil-A nuggets. You, you never get full. It's in the same category as Hershey Kisses. But I want to put this image on the screen. I want you to notice this. Do you see the kiss within the kiss? Which means when I point this out to you, you'll never see this logo ever the same again. The kiss within the kiss. For those of you that have not seen the kiss within the kiss, look between the K and the I. The kiss is pointing this way. How many of you, this is the first time you've ever seen the kiss within the, revival is breaking out at Falls Creek right now. Now watch this. Guess what's going to happen when you get home? You're going to see this logo. And that random person... You're going to walk up to you and go, hey, dude, you see the kiss within the kiss? Just, first of all, be careful how you say that. You could get ju judo chopped in the throat by somebody. But I want to show you this. All I've been trying to do tonight is to show you the kiss within the kiss. That Genesis chapter 22 is actually an Old Testament version of what we understand as John 3.16. All of this was setting up the greatest sacrifice of all, which is one step further, is that this God would go to the fullest measure 
Isaiah 53 would say this, that we have all gone astray, all turned our own way, and the Lord, watch this, God the Father laid upon Jesus the iniquity of us all. And then Isaiah 53.10, just like I read in Genesis 22, that is the Father was going to slaughter the Son. It's the same verb, same word that's used in regards to Isaiah 53.10 that would say this, and it pleased the Father to crush the Son. Why did that have to happen? Jesus willingly, graciously, wholeheartedly laid upon the wood for the sin of all of us in this room. And he could have called legions of angels to rescue him from the cross, but he chose not to say those words. But instead he said these words, it is finished, paid in full. John the Baptist would say this, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is based upon what Christ Jesus has done for us. No matter what you've done, if you're willing to come to Jesus, he pronounces and proclaims and declares with great authority over you, not guilty. Because Jesus absorbed the wrath of God. I'll close with this. This Jesus is the model of love. One of the best movies I've ever seen in my life is a movie called Wonder. How many of you have seen that movie? I believe there's a case study that could be done on how we should treat each other out of that particular movie. Main character's name is August or Augie. He's got facial deformities. He wears a space helmet before he goes off to school because he could not stand the fact that everybody would stare at him. There's a scene where we have been moved emotionally as just an attender in the movie theater or if you've rented the movie and we see this and we just feel the pain. We, we just feel the anguish within all of us of how Augie's being treated by all his classmates in the entire school that he goes to. He's sitting at a cafeteria all by himself, which, by the way, we've all seen people that have been sitting at tables all by themselves. But I love the scene. There's been an unfortunate rumor that has spread throughout the school, and the rumor is this. If you touch Augie, you get the plague. And there's a group of girls that are just trashing Augie, just dogging him out. And one girl gets up, walks across the cafeteria, sits down across from Augie, introduces herself, and I love the character of Augie because he's got a little bit of sarcasm. Sarcasm is my love language. She introduces herself as Summer. And it was in that moment he goes, yeah, like, uh, I know who you are. We're in the same class. And then in her attempt to be nice, Augie goes, why, why are you doing this? And then Augie says this, man, and it, it, like, it still chokes me up today. <laughs> why are you doing this? And she goes, I'm looking for, and this is loose paraphrase, I'm looking for real friendship. And this is the essence of what she does. She reaches out her hand and goes, can we be friends? And Augie looks at her and goes, 
you know, if you touch me, you get the plague. And this is the line of the movie for me. She goes, good, and shakes his hand. I just need you to know that Jesus came to this earth, crossed the lunchroom cafeteria. You, you, you've been sitting there all by yourself. You, you may feel as if you got so many people around you, but deep down inside, you've been longing and looking for something of substantial, significant value. You've tried everything. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes across the, the lunchroom cafeteria, sits down at the table with you and goes, hi, my name's Jesus. And as he stretches out his hands, you see the nail-scarred hands. And because of your sin and because of your shame, as we superimpose the storyline of Augie on us, we're like, uh, I don't know if you want to touch me. You may get the plague. And Jesus goes, good. Like, yes, I'll gladly take it. And he took every one of your sins and paid for it on the hill of Calvary. And because his, of his love for you and for me, I could stand on a stage, and this verse is still prophetically true. As it is said to this day, on that place, on Mount Moriah, the mountain range that led to Mount Calvary, this is still true to this day, that our God is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord that will provide. So let's stand together if you don't mind. Let's all stand together. You've been a phenomenal audience with heads bowed, eyes closed for just a brief moment. Heads bowed, eyes closed for just a brief moment. I, I need you to be gut level honest tonight. I, I, don't, I don't need you to try to somehow sugarcoat your response. I just need it to be raw, like just flat out raw. But I want you to listen to what I'm about to ask you. If you don't know for sure that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. Like, you don't know that for sure. Like, if you've ever done that, or if your life were to come to an end, and I'm not trying to freak you out, I just need you to know the book of James says that life is like a vapor, here for a moment, then gone. And if you're like, okay, if my life were to come to an end, would you go to heaven? And if your answer is, I'm a good person, or I've been baptized, or like the good outweighs the bad, or I've been on a mission trip, and it's your resume of stuff that you've done, it falls short. You may even say, like, I, I prayed a prayer. But the prayer doesn't save you. The person of Jesus saves you. I meet so many people that trust. I prayed the prayer. The prayer is awesome when it's attached to a heart that means it. And if you just went through the motions, here's what we're asking you. If you don't know for sure if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, if you don't know for sure if you're to die, if you go to heaven, you don't know that for sure, would you just raise your hand right where you're standing? Come on, don't, don't, don't try to dodge this. Just be real and honest about this. If you don't know for sure, just raise your hand. You don't know for sure if Jesus Christ is your Savior. You don't know for sure if your life were to come to an end if you go to heaven. If you don't know that, just raise your hand. Don't dodge the question. Just be straight up honest. For those of you that raised your hand, I'm so proud of your courage tonight. We want to give you an opportunity to respond. So you can put your hands down. Maybe 
you didn't raise your hand, but in your heart, you're like, oh, I don't know. I'm going to pray that God will give you courage. Tonight, we're inviting you to Jesus. We're not inviting you to religion. You need to lose your religion and find Jesus tonight. Your religion will not save you. And then on the other side of the, of the spectrum are people that would say, he can't cover my sin for it's too, too gross in regards to what I've done. I'm too unlovely. I'm too broken. No, listen, he takes great joy in taking broken pieces and making masterpieces. I'm proof of that tonight. So I'm going to pray that God will give you courage. If you want to come to Jesus, just like we did last night, we're giving you an opportunity to receive him as personal Lord and Savior. If that's the decision that you want to make, not because anybody's pressured you. That's what I love about Falls Creek. We talk to people about Jesus, but please don't make a decision because somebody in your cabin has been talking to you about that. You make that decision because you know that's the decision that you need to make. See, if we could talk you into it, somebody else is going to talk you out of it. It's got to be your decision. And if you're ready, then I need you to step out of that seat as soon as I say amen and we start to sing. Father God.